you have heard the saying, different strokes for different folks, right? It is a practical saying, a practical perspective when it comes to assessing someone because you realize that every person presents a unique opportunity to figure out so you can customize your care according to who they are. This concept of different strokes for different folks, unique, customized care is where the Bible is so helpful. The Bible doesn't fit everyone into the same box and you do the same thing, mapping one truth over each person. No, each person is carefully crafted, customized as far as the sanctification care that we bring to them. Therefore, the call on our lives is is not to categorize everybody as the same, but to ask the Spirit of God to eliminate our minds, to give us the discernment to see the particularities of each person. Well, Paul, the apostle, had this type of masterful discernment. He could peek into a person's life and understand them, and then he can sculpt a discipleship construct to bring the needed care to that unique person. And I want to walk through in this podcast over the next few minutes, I want to take a verse that's tucked away in the back of the New Testament and stretch it out, look inside of it, and I hope that it will give you a lot of help as you think about all the unique people in your world. Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Very glad that you are here. You can read this podcast if you want. I've written out an article here. And the title of the article is, Why Each Person Needs Care According to Their Uniqueness. Let's get into it. That verse that's tucked away in the back of the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. I want to read it carefully. It's a short sentence. I want to stop at four different places. I want you to have it fixed in your mind, and then I want to drill down into it. And I trust that when I'm done here that you will think about the different people in your life differently. Here's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Paul says, We urge you, brothers admonish the idol. Now fix that in your mind. Admonish the idol. I'll talk about that first. Number two, encourage the faint-hearted. That's another type of person, really different from the idol person. And so admonish the idol, Paul says, encourage the faint-hearted. That's the second people group. And then he says, help the weak. That's the third people group. And so we have the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak, and we are to do three different things to them. We are to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then he tied a bow around all three people groups by finishing the sentence by saying, be patient with them all. So there's the four things that I want to talk about in this podcast, admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, and being patient with them all. As Paul wrapped up his letter to the Thessalonians, he shared this idea of individualized care, hoping to help his readers as they engaged their community in proper sanctification. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is vital for any discipler, regardless of the context and regardless of your friend list. Though the ground at the cross is level, Each person standing there has a unique makeup 
that you must discern. This is spirit-illuminated discernment so that you can cooperate with God in helping them to change and mature. Now, every parent with more than one child understands this perspective about how each person is different. What works for one does not work for the other. The way one child responds is not necessarily how the other child will respond. Your tone can call one child to attention and salute the flag, and the same technique would crush the other child. One size does not fit every person or every occasion. Dear God, give me spiritual discernment to know my audience so that I can serve them most effectively. And so in this verse, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, a short but contoured sentence, Paul gives us three people types and three individualized approaches to these three people groups. And so I want to look at them in the order in which Paul presented them so that we can learn and apply to the unique people within our network. And so let's look at the behavioral center. He said, admonish the idol. And so his first people group is the idol person or the lazy person. Now, of course, you want to distinguish between a pattern of laziness and an episode of laziness. All of us can be lazy at times, but all of us are not lazy people. I have had down days where my A game was absent, non-existent, which is different from a lazy person who has no A game whatsoever. Every day for the lazy person is another derivation of the day before. And so after a while, it becomes clear who the person is, that he is a sluggard. And so you do want to make a distinction when you're admonishing the idol that it's not an episodic idol person because you see the trajectory and the characteristic of their lives. They are characterized as A-game people, not lazy people. But if you do have a person who has a pattern of slothfulness in their lives, Paul says you should admonish them. Admonish the idol. To admonish is to warn. It is similar to the Savior's counsel in Matthew 5.30, where he talked about quick amputation of behavioral sins. Warn them. Don't be squeamish. He said this in 5.30. If your hand offends you, or if your hand, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes to hell. Now, he's using hyperbole, hyperbolic language to communicate the severity of jumping on something that needs to be amputated quickly. That's why we can't be squeamish with such a person. Warn him. He's idle, a pattern of idleness, sluggard. Admonish him. Let him know he is going down the wrong path and he needs to stop. But here's a key idea, and please understand this. As you warn him, You have to help him, in addition, by providing a plan. It's not just stopping a bad behavior, but you want him to renew the spirit of his mind, as Paul talked about in Ephesians 4.23. And then you want him to start a new behavior. So don't don't be lazy when you're admonishing the lazy person and just say, stop it, because I'm to admonish you, and that's all you do. Well, there's more scriptures in the New Testament than 1 Thessalonians 5.14. So yeah, Admonish him, warn him, tell him to stop it, to amputate it. You're going down a bad path. 
but recognize that there is something deeper going on in his heart. But the sin that he is committing is a behavioral sin, and that is the point of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, and it's key to what I'm sharing with you in this podcast. But, as you know, behavioral sin finds its origin and motivation in the heart, from the abundance of the heart. The lazy person is lazy. Or as Luke 6.45 says, in the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so your counsel must have more depth than behavioral modification, admonishing and warning. You have to counsel his idol factory to eradicate the roots of his sin. This expectation for change will take time, of course. And again, Paul spoke about this comprehensive process of change, for example, in Ephesians 4, 23, and 24. But for now... There is something that he can do immediately. He can cut off his bad behavior to stop the bleeding, admonish him. Now, as he is doing this, you can begin a longer and more well-paced process of identifying the ruling motives of his heart so he can completely be free from this sin of idleness. The point of emphasis, however, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, is some people are in patterns of behavioral sinning, and there should be no time delay in trying to motivate them to stop. The use of the word idle in this verse. It could be an implied metaphor for behavioral sinning. It is not stretching the text to say, I mean, you can apply it to other behavioral sins. You want to warn a person about any external behavioral sin that they're doing because they must cease their sinfulness. Let me give you a few other examples where you would immediately warn or admonish a person. Sexual abuse, forms of anger, drunkenness, pornography, Physical abuse, lying, stealing, adultery, child neglect, relational coldness, and I'm sure you can add to this list, but again, the point of this sentence is admonish the behavioral sinner. One of the fantastic things about the Bible is how a simple turn from one phrase to the next can pack so much information. This one sentence tucked away in the back of the Thessalonica letter, it testifies to this truth, moving from phrase to phrase and changing so much. Paul moves from the person who is behaviorally sinning to the person who has a small soul. He says that we are to encourage the faint-hearted. A faint-hearted person is an individual with a small soul. Now, this concept about a small soul, it should not strike us as being odd if we think about our physical capacities, our organic selves. The sports world is a regular reminder to me that there are the haves and the have-nots. Guess which people group I belong to when it comes to physical capacities and physical differences. I was that guy in the sixth grade that the two basketball jocks, who were always the ones who picked the team, they always deliberated whether they should pick the obese boy or pick me as the last two people standing to be on their teams. More times than not, they would choose the obese boy because I had no game. At least he could stand in the way. I couldn't get out of the way of my own two feet on a basketball court. There are different skill levels when it comes to our physicality. 
it stands to reason that there are various capacities for our non-organic selves, our psyche, our souls, which is what psyche means, the non-organic part of us. It would be biblically inconsistent for one part of our dichotomy, our physical selves, to be nuanced, to be different from person to person, different gradations, and then the immaterial part of us, our souls, would be one size for all. That's just that's inconsistent. I mean, for example, I listen to my pastor each Sunday, and I think, oh my, I could never do that. The Lord has given him a gift to be able to dig and to search and to uncover and to process and to craft and to preach a sermon. Now, I realize there is physical stamina involved in doing what he does every Sunday morning, but most of what he does has to do with his soul, his ability to search Scripture and to process it and to reflect and and think. He has a different soul capacity than I do. It doesn't make him better than me. It makes him different from me. We are part of the body of Christ, and we have essential and differing roles within that body. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Of course, Paul was not talking about our gifting by the use of the word faint-hearted in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. He spoke about some people having a tiny soul that requires an encouraging response from the rest of us. Everybody is not the same internally. That's the point. While that can be a positive for someone like my pastor, it can be debilitating for those constantly struggling with soul issues like fear, worry, anxiety, despair, regret, guilt, shame, insecurity. There are some people that just have a lot of soul noise that is a bigger struggle for them than other people who don't. They have different soul composition, different soul capacities. For example, if you had a child who wilted each time you raised your voice at him, it would soon become a form of merciless punishment for you to raise your voice at him. God wired him to where your harshness has a more profound, complicating, detrimental effect on his soul. Then you could have another child who shrugs off your acidity. Now, please understand when I use this illustration of two different child and children and how your harshness can affect them differently, I am not suggesting that you be cruel to anyone. There's no place for cruelty. My point is, is that we can affect folks differently. It is imperative to know the internal constitution of a person so you can respond to them appropriately. Encouragement is always good for all people, but it is absolutely non-negotiable for the small-souled individual. Our primary disposition toward others should, toward all people, should be encouragement as well as gratitude. But if you miss this mark on the faint-hearted, you could press them farther down into internal bondage. And then Paul turns to another phrase, to identify another, a third people group, the physically weak. Notice what Paul did. Paul identified those who were doing ongoing behavioral sinning. And then he calls out a strikingly different people group, 
those who have internal challenges more complicated than, say, other people. And then he transitions to the counterparts of the spiritually challenged by talking about the physically challenged. Here are the three people groups. Warn the behavioral center. Encourage the soul challenged. Help the physically weak. There are those among us who are physically weak. Paul's counsel is to help them. The physically vulnerable people, they could be the aged people among us. It could also be the young people among us. I have several friends who are not old and they're not young, but they are physically challenged. They cannot do some of the things that many of us can do. Sovereign God has concern for these people. And he inspired Paul to drop a word for us to look for those who cannot do what we can do. This opportunity for us is to count others more significant than ourselves, as we read in Philippians 2.3. Making food for the elderly in your neighborhood, or doing acts of service for those who do not have the mobility or the capability are just two ways to help the weak, as Paul says. Our outer natures are wasting away. We're all on the death march. Some folks, regardless of age, are experiencing wasting away to a greater degree and even earlier than the rest of us. One of the beauties of the body of Christ is how Christians have gone to heroic lengths to bring care to those around them. Before we get to where they are, physically weak, God calls us to help those who cannot help themselves. Now, perhaps you could share with others within your network about those in your, let's say, your local church body who are physically suffering. And that's just one way that you can respond to Paul's call to help the weak. And then Paul powerfully finishes this short sentence by making a universal declaration, be patient with them all. I have thought how he could have left that tidbit off the end of his wise counsel. But then after more reflection, I knew he was right, and it's essential that he reminds me, specifically me, to be patient because sometimes I can be impatient. And so regardless of the kind of person you are dealing with, you must be patient with all of them. Be patient with them all. And so a parent trying to teach a child will struggle with patience. A friend appealing to another friend to change will struggle with patience. A spouse hoping their spouse will change will struggle with patience. A pastor slandered by a church member will struggle with patience. And so Paul's mandate will probably not receive more challenges than when you're trying to help someone to change. We're all susceptible to blowing it in our interpersonal relationships. Be patient with them all. But I I won't, as I wrap up this podcast, I've talked about the three people groups. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then I talked about being patient with them all. But there is another complexity that I have to talk about, and I do want you to understand that's in addition to the patient problem. And that is this. Everybody that you meet does not neatly fit into one of Paul's three distinct categories of idle, faint-hearted, and weak. 
As mentioned earlier, I talked about the lazy person, you remember? And I said that he had soul problems too, that you got to do more than just warn him, that you also want to give him a, a competent plan of sanctification that all also includes dealing with the very thing that feeds his idol problem, the idolatries of the heart. To admonish a behaviorally sinning person without taking in what might be going inside of him could frustrate him, especially if his laziness ties to his spiritual problems, which it most certainly does. And so that's why the complexity may take extraordinary patience from you to help the person captivated by physical sins and soul problems. You can't just say, stop it. There's more complex. There's more complexity here. First Thessalonians five fourteen is not the only verse in the Bible. If it was, you would just say stop it. You just admonish the idol. But the problems that we have are more complicated. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you are counseling a teenager, and he is behaviorally sinning. Well, I will tell you that he's struggling internally also. And so if you just admonished him, let's say he's smoking weed or he's drinking alcohol or he's having sex with someone or he's got an anger problem, and if you just said, stop it, if you just admonished him, you would not be doing him, you would not be helping him because something, there are things that are feeding this behavioral problem that he has. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. Let's just take a teenager. He's behaviorally sinning. You want to admonish him, of course, but you also want to get into the complexity of his life. I want to give you, I don't know, seven or eight possibilities to think about. Let's say that his dad was distant and he became angry. And so if you admonished him about being angry, but you didn't deal with the complexity of how a distant dad affected his soul, then you will further complicate what you're trying to stop in his life, his anger. Let's say that his dad was angry, and he sought other relationships, and so you admonished him about sexual behavior with the opposite sex. But you haven't dealt with how he got there. You're only dealing with the behavioral problem that you see in the moment, but you don't see the trail of tears that led to this moment to where he's behaviorally sinning. And so you have to deal with the soul complexity. Here's a third illustration. Let's say that his mom has worried him to death that she's a nag, that she's an insecure person, and is just wearing him out over 15 years. And so he, he checked out, and he's drinking alcohol and smoking weed. You warn him, you admonish him, which you should, Paul says, to admonish the behavioral sinner. But you have to deal with the complexity, the trail of tears that got him here. Let's say that God let him be born in a dysfunctional family. And now he's 17 years old, and he's behaviorally sinning. There are 17 years of issues that have complicated him internally to where now he is sinning outwardly and it's manifest and, and people see it. I'm not saying that he's a victim. I'm not saying that at all. He is making behavioral choices and he is 100% culpable for the choices that he is making. But our discipleship has to be more complex than just saying, stop it. Let's say that I am insecure, which is why I ran with the drug crowd, 
Admonish me for smoking weed. Deal with my insecurity. Let's say that I saw so much hypocrisy at the church when I was a kid, and so I I walked away from it, which is, by the way, it's a true story. And you rebuke me for rebelling and living a sinful lifestyle, but you don't deal with this hidden anger that I have because of the hypocrisy that I saw in my own parents and saw within the Christian community. Let's say that someone tried to shove religion down my throat. And so I start smoking weed and basically just give the religious crowd the the middle finger. And, and you rebuke me because I'm a weed smoker and don't deal with the inner complexity. Let's say that my parents were hedonists and I began to model that lifestyle. And you rebuke me. You admonish my behavioral sin. My point here is that we have to do more to help people than just, like, say, admonish the idol. My point here is that there is complexity with all of us, and so we don't want to fit people into tight categories and bind them into those categories without realizing the other complexities that are associated with the things that we say and do. You want to help them overcome their internal problems which connects to the behavioral choices. If you expect them to shape up and fly right by focusing on the behavioral behaviors exclusively, they may stop for a while, only to resurface later because you neglected the soul noise that feeds the behavioral sinning. Never forget the inside-out process of change. It would be a mistake to take Paul's text here in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, turn it into a tight, non-negotiable framework for soul care. People don't fit categories, frameworks, or sequences. We must have the Spirit's discernment about those within our spheres of care. Paul says to warn the sinner, He also said to encourage the small soul. Then he asked us to help the physically weak. As you think about the interweaving and binding of these categories, don't forget that patience is a fundamental key as you come alongside them. What you don't want to do is to confound the pre-existing issues with your impatience. Let them see Christ in you, which has a drawing power to lift them from their bondage. The title of this article is, is Why Each Person Needs Care According to Their Uniqueness. The verse that I've been examining, scrutinizing throughout the podcast is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and then I talked about the complexity and the interweaving of those three categories. Now, here are a few questions that I want you to think about as I wrap up. Question number one, describe a behavioral sinning person that you know. Just describe them. And then will you write out a plan, even if it's in your mind, of how you would care for them? And of course, your plan would admonish the behavioral sin, but then you also want to think about the possibilities of complexity that is internal to them so that you can help them to change not just the behavioral sinning, but to change their hearts as well. Number two, think about a small-souled person with whom you are familiar. Will you describe their soul noise or what makes them small-souled? 
faint-hearted. And then when you just write out a few sentences or think through a few ways that you could speak into their lives and help them being patient with them. Number three, would you reflect on a weak person in your world, whether they're old, young, or somewhere in between, that they don't have the physical capabilities that you have? What is one way that you can serve them? What is something that you can do? Or what is an initiative that you can put forth to the leaders in your church for helping those who are weak? I'm doing this podcast at the end of 2021, and we have just come through a year and a half of just incredible difficulty, specifically with the coronavirus, where many of those are physically weak among us. Uh, How can we come alongside those, regardless of when you're listening to this podcast, and help the weak? If you have any questions about this podcast, I want you to come to our ministry's website. We have a free service that we provide. Not just the podcasts are free, or the articles like this one I just shared with you is free. There's a one-hour webinar here exploring the idol factory, how to identify the ruling motives of the heart. That's here. That's free to you. But we are a dialogue ministry, and if you have a question about this podcast or if there's something else that that's on your mind, then I want you to come and jump on our community forums and ask those questions that are important to you, and we would love to serve you that way. If you are an individual who is able to help us financially, remember none of these resources are truly free. It takes a couple hundred thousand dollars each year for us to do what we do, and we cannot do that without support. And so if you're able to support us monthly, annually or with a one-time gift would you consider that thank you so much and thank you for listening you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee